0: Well, I I hadn't thought about looking at Tampa, and that's a good idea. So I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Today I got a podcast to do.
1: Anyways.
2: Yeah, let's do a podcast.
1: Jeb, uh, uh, lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut, huh?
2: Yes, I like that. That's a easier to say saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is this is what uh, is this? This is a a site that has a bunch of images of low flying aircraft. Uh, Most of them are warbirds. A lot of them are from World War II, and you're looking at, and just scrolling down from the top, uh, Douglas A-20 Havoc, uh, P-40, I don't know what that twin is, Um, no one else does apparently either. Uh P forty seven, all kinds of neat stuff. German, Japanese, yeah. Italian, British, uh World War Two stuff. But then it goes into uh, a lot of it's military, but then it goes into uh more modern uh photography and and jets and uh uh maybe some restored World War Two aircraft, things like that. But all of them the punchline here is all of them are flying like really low and really fast. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and these are still pictures and you can still see they're fast. Yeah.
2: And uh. there's there's shots of of damaged aircraft p-47s especially from uh world war ii where they got too low and and there's like a foot missing off of each propeller blade mm-hmm. and the and the cowling's all dinged up and you know like mm, okay uh, at least we know where the line is now yeah yeah right uh, <laughs> you know. no
1: surprise the ones yeah. that, the ones that i find the most impressive are uh there's there's two or three or four pictures of b-17s really right. close to the ground right and uh that's just got to, like, take your breath away. Uh, one of them is from this... And uh, B-24s. Yeah, and- yeah, one of them is this uh, 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 TV commercial shoot. Um, the one that's uh, modern-day photographer mari Mer- Mitchell captured, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a video floating around on YouTube of them doing the shoot and uh, just having this... They just obviously did it over and over and again. And they got the uh, B-17 and a couple of uh, fighters, a P-51, and I'm not sure what the other one is. Maybe it's another P-51, but... Uh, just they're out in the desert and the uh, the uh, the airplanes come they're, they're sort of on a little bit of a rise in the desert and so uh-huh. they've framed it so that the airplanes kind of rise up over the horizon you know, they're kind of invisible and, and, and as they skim the road they uh, suddenly appear over the crest of the road
2: right they're zooming by yeah so yeah. well the, the op- one, we've talked about this before one of the uh, one of my uh, favorite aviation movies is always and the opening shot of that it's a very very long lens, very very deep depth of field, um, of a PBY swooping down onto a lake and a rowboat with two guys asleep fishing in it. Ah uh, yes, uh, um, in, in right in the foreground, mm-hmm. and the PBY just starts aiming straight for the rowboat, and of course lifts off at the last second, just trailing water as it as it picks up water to go put out a fire. It, it's it's really a neat shot.
1: It is a, I, yeah. I'd forgotten the shot. I I, I know the movie well, but. Uh, mm-hmm. But
2: uh, there's also the uh, that uh, photograph of the four South African T sixes, the, the the demo team from South Africa, all of them with their landing gear down and all of them skimming the top of the water with their wheels.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a good yeah.
0: one, too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that one that one makes me go. Oh, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, but you know, yeah. Bush pilots but, those, do that intentionally, apparently, you know, they'll, they'll come down and actually touch down on the water before skimming up onto a, uh, onto like a sandbar or something. It's
2: I, I've cool. seen that done. Um, it's, I don't I've know if that's video. just showing
1: off or if that's really useful.
2: It's usually um, as long as you just touch down the, at the very edge of the water. Right. Yeah. Uh, you want to be, be rolling and not skipping.
0: Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, getting some uh, uh, instruction in, in snow, ski plane flying and flying on, you know, uh, virgin snow-covered fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the one of the parts of checking out the field was to go down and put a ski just as gently as you could in, into the top of the snow mm-hmm. and run the length of where you wanted to go with no real weight on the ski. And then come back around and look at it. And you might find, you know, any little holes or, wow, there was a piece of wood there. <laughs> Uh, That was particularly important if you were landing on frozen water. Mm -hmm. If the water underneath was starting to thaw and get thin, you could still have snow on the surface and make it look solid, but it wouldn't be capable of carrying your weight. So you put a ski down on the – and put both skis in this case down on uh, on, on the surface of snow. No real weight on it. The length of your landing run, pull out come back around and, and fly those ruts and see if water was starting to seep into them. If they were filling up with water, it was probably best to look elsewhere.
1: <laughs> How hard is it to do that, to just gently skim across the snow like that? Uh is I'm not sure how to explain that. That's one of
0: those things where you've got to have a good view of, you know, at least one ski, the mm-hmm. one on your side of the airplane. Uh, in a in a narrow plane like a Husky, you can actually lean back, you know, left and right and get a, a look at both skis. Uh, I focused on the left side and then easing it down and putting a little weight on it so I could see it. And then, you know, quickly looking up pretty every half second back down again and holding it steady. Once you get it there, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, blazing wide open throttle, but something well above, you know, stall speed. And and uh, run the length of a landing roll out and pull up and come back around again. It's slower if you can, so you can get a good look at those ruts. Yes. If the water is flowing into the ruts, the ice underneath is probably soft or disappearing. And if you broke through the ice, you probably wouldn't sink because the weight of the wing spread out over the rest of the ice would probably hold you up long enough for you to get your wet, sorry butt out of the airplane. But it didn't bode
1: well. Yeah, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Jeb, you did your flow plane thing a couple of years ago. Was there any of that right. sort of stuff there?
2: No. No, I, the, 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 most of the work we did was, you know, get it on, get it off the water. Um, occasionally, like doing inch simulated engine out, where I'd I'd have some airspeed and, and level out over the water, before I bled that airspeed off and set up the proper pitch angle for a touchdown. But um, as a routine or as a as a training exercise, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I uh, I got a, a a Twitter from a listener uh, yesterday, I think it was from, uh, let's see now, flyer, three, three, three sent me a, uh, Twitter that says, uh, this is just wrong. And he included a uh, <laughs> link to a YouTube video that I gave you guys a, a copy of the link there. It's a, uh, somebody mm-hmm. doing, well, the, the title of the video is touch and go, or what is it? I don't have it in front of me here, but, uh, it's a, a, it's a cub doing a touch and go on a road. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, uh, a thing um you got to figure that he could see the road in both directions and knew there was no cars coming and knew the road well enough to know there were no obstructions and things, but then, after doing the touch and go, he only lifted off about you know i mean didn't get out of out of ground effect and just went flying down the road for quite a distance, um, making a couple of gentle turns the road made a couple of gentle turns to one side and the other and uh And uh, Flyer 333's thing, you know, because I had to ask him later on, he said, this is just wrong. And I said, "Well, do you mean wrong in a good way or a bad way? And he said, no, wrong in a bad way. He was troubled by this. Uh, He thought that flying down the road like this was wildly dangerous. Uh, uh, What do you guys think? It's very reminiscent of, you see see videos from time to time of you flying along rivers like this very low. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, Well, I, I don't have any fundamental problem with flying low, if there's a good purpose for it if we're just showing off um yeah, uh what's the point maybe well. we can find another, maybe we can find another way to show off but um, actually accidentally actually i'm looking at this video this this cub landing on the highway i, I got to think maybe this highway w- wasn't open or something wasn't quite open i don't know there's no cars um he handles the airplane well he's not all that low after he touches down he's getting a little lower now um but <laughs> I mean, what's the purpose
1: well the, you know the, you you named you named you know for a purpose or for for well i forget what you say you said two things the third possibility is just for fun
0: there's a fourth possibility yeah. i think
1: yeah all right david what's well, the fourth possibility well
0: since some parts of uh, some parts of the world uh taking off and landing from roads in remote sparsely parts of of the territory is trained for uh, bush pilots do it right. as particular you know a training flight would come to mind on that okay but we're not talking uh, so
1: much about landing on the road or we're talking about flying along the road for some great distance uh I, again you know if you if you could see traffic
0: far enough out uh, that's a good exercise in control and precision. I mean, this guy's flying down a road. There are trees on both sides that are taller than him. Uh, and the way the road bends, uh, he's going to be experiencing some changes in the direction and, and, and nature of any air moving around there. Uh, doing that around blind corners that I see in some of this video, I'm not wild about that. Uh, but uh, on the long straightaways, you know, okay, uh, like jib, if there's a purpose for it, and I've seen video of bush pilots being trained to fly for different 135 outfits in in, in, in Alaska. Uh, I've seen video and been with bush pilots from Canada that did this kind of training uh, for parts of the Arctic Circle where they flew. Uh, the town might not have uh, an actual runway but it's got a long stretch of road that runs from where they moor their boats to the houses that are high high above the high tide mark and that's where the guy takes off and lands so as a training
1: exercise uh,
0: yeah uh, for grins and giggles uh, man i don't know i'd sure hate to meet something coming around that corner
1: yeah, that's what I kept watching. I was wondering if that was going to be the punchline in that video—is that suddenly an oncoming car appeared and you had to like
2: zoom or something? and well, I don't think anyone, and in, in fact, the FARs encourage you know flying low is on, on for reasons of you know, reconnoitering a landing area and actually using a landing area. I don't, I don't think anybody anybody questions that or, or has any issues with that. <clears throat> but if we're just out showing off, um, so great. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to show you and share with you. Any number of accident reports involving, you know, hey guys, hold my beer, watch this. Yeah, right. Um, and for no good reason, except you know, stupid pilot tricks. And I don't, I don't know. As a community, I don't know that we really need to be doing that. Um, but having said all of that, I, I you know, I'd like to think that this this cub uh, jockey, and, and he's he's you know clearly seems to know what he's doing, um, knew that the road was not going to be inhabited. And, 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 or not, not have traffic on it, I should say. Um, it looks like, uh, you know, there's no trees nearby. The wide is wide open. The pavement is clean and good. Uh, no issues. Uh, it, it wasn't a, it, the, 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 uh, the operation itself wasn't really unsafe. It could have been made unsafe very easily. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I have to confess that I went for a ride with a friend one time in his airplane, and uh, and we got down low kind of like this. And, uh, and and although, you know, it was fun. I mean, basically, I mean, I, I, I'm sitting there riding along here thinking, wow, this is incredibly dangerous. But, man, this is fun. What, what's it's the, what's a the big lowest? rush. It's a major the, rush, you know.
2: What's the lowest altitude at which you can fly?
1: You can fly an inch off the deck if you're not near. What's the FAR says people vehicles or structures people vessels or structures mm-hmm. or something like that.
2: The, gotta, what the FAR is, what five hundred
1: feet from people. What,
2: what the FAR say is is a uh, height above the ground sufficient to uh, allow for uh, a safe landing without endangering anybody if the if the power fails. Well, so the, if you're one inch off the ground off, off a highway. A, you know, it's a pretty safe place to be. <laughs> B, <laughs>
1: that's a tricky.
2: That's a pretty slippery. B, you're illegal. Your <laughs> it is, but that's what the rule says. Yeah, but I could, yeah, I yeah, could that, be that a it thousand says,
1: feet and not be high enough to make a safe landing. That's exactly true. That's, you, that's, that's why they you're don't right. prescribe a number. You just broke
0: the code. <laughs> broke the code. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, all right. So that, you, J- Jack, you were talking about flying along with a friend that you know did some down low. Uh, uh, made me flash back to the only time I've ever gotten a ride in a uh, uh, Tiger Moth, De Havilland Tiger Moth, an original, uh, between the World Wars, Tiger Moth. Uh, you got a ride in Tiger Moth back between the World Wars? Yeah, yeah. You, oh, no. I, I, I hold my age well, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that sounds cool. Tell us about it. Actually, well, it was, well, it was the owner's that. last flight in the airplane. He was changing jobs. He was getting a big promotion, moving to another part of the country. Uh, and he'd had his tiger moth for years and he'd sold it. And this was going to be his last flight. And the the new owner was showing up the, the next day and he invited me to go along. Uh, now, you know, I'm very cool. Jump at a chance. This guy's a high muckety muck, uh, senior VP, one of the airplane companies Gotten to know him fairly well. Sharp guy, good sense of humor, real pilot. Uh, we go out, you know, he puts me through the, the whole drill, the pre-flight and how you turn it backward this way and tickle the carburetor that way and then pull it through and then turn the switch on and then puppy's got no brakes, got no tail wheel, it's got a skid. Uh, we get fired up, get out of the pattern from Augusta Municipal, uh, where we kept Air Comanche, uh, get out to the Southeast a little bit. And he says, "You want to see how she handles down low?" I said, "Sure." And the next thing I know, I'm looking out the window of the left main gear, and it is picking up the heads of plants from the wheat field, and <laughs> yeah. the spokes, mm-hmm. and they're going plink, plink, plink. You can't hear them above the wind and the engine, but they're making the little wheels turn. And I look ahead, and there's a tree row, and then a hedge line, and a fence, and just as smooth as silk. It just eases that puppy up and over and then right back down on the next wheat field. And I got to looking at the wheat field when we pulled up later on and saw multiple little, little disturbances down there that <laughs> you left made me tracks. think he wasn't the only guy that uh, had been doing this. I see. Okay.
2: I, I, just, uh, I just doubt this story, uh, Dave. Yeah, why? I, just, I, I doubt this story sincerely because anyone who knew that that was going to be the last flight in that airplane for them I wouldn't take David.
1: <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to episode 266 of Uncontrolled Airspace: The General Aviation Podcast. Clear. You're
2: going to be hearing a little bit of background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not it's, it's not really noise. Good background noise. That's yeah, right. this is this is the best seat in the house. That's right
3: we got Skyriders
2: now. we got Skyriders now. we got now. Skyriders have, now. <laughs> it, does that say UCAP? I
1: can't. It's got a <laughs> runway in the front yard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight. Clear land.
3: Turkey Turkey's Ground. Good
4: afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Alpha.
2: Recording
1: this episode on uh, Monday afternoon, December 19th, 2011. And joining me here in the virtual hangar, my two good friends, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you, David? How you doing today? This the afternoon. Doug. doing lovely. We got the we got the right uh,
0: clothes for the weather. The hip waders out.
1: Yeah, you're uh, about to get a little mini blizzard or a real blizzard or something.
0: Well, right now I'm watching the ducks and the geese celebrating, and there was just a a, a, a grumman land in the street in front of my house and take off again with <laughs> on the float part.
1: I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you're going to get some weather out there. That's uh, you know good for you. Although we're supposed to get it in a couple of days later on, so we'll see what happens. Also out there is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you?
2: I'm much warmer uh, than you folks are or yeah. going to be, but uh, I'm I'm doing good. It would be difficult uh,
1: for you not to be much warmer than we are. <laughs>
2: well, you know, yeah, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but, uh, uh, remember that time when you I don't know it was last summer, last winter, I think. Where it was colder here than it was in Dover, New Hampshire. or Yeah, something? well,
1: that's what happened. I, I think one of my visits down there. The, I, I know sooner yeah. than I arrived, and I was kept looking at the weather every day, and I'm thinking it's warmer. In uh, this was probably sun and fun time. It was probably March, late March, and yeah, it was warmer. That's what happened when I went to Las Vegas a month ago. All right, I left. I, you know, I, I left New New England, and uh, I arrived in Las Vegas. It was 70 degrees every day in New England, and it was in the 60s every day in Las Vegas. The locals in Nevada were just, like, flipping out. They're going, it's freezing! They thought it was terrible. But almost the entire two weeks I was there, it was warmer in New England than it was in Las Vegas in November. Oh, well, go figure. Hey, and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I am talking to you today from the Ucab Winter HQ on the evergreen slopes of Garrison Hill in Dover, New Hampshire.
2: And... uh so you know what I want to ask about? So Jeff. I, I just I just heard a, I just heard a hint of Garrison Keeler in that. I just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> just a hint. Uh, just I take a that hint. as a compliment. I, I, no high. Well praise. okay.
2: I okay. Uh as far as professional compliment compliment, sure, but we might want to moderate that for the future just from a style standpoint. Yeah. Just saying.
1: You don't think high atop lookout point is very Garrison Keeler ish too? Uh, that's I'm used to that. I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, you went flying and then some. I did. Man, oh man! All right. So, so you're still, you're, you're. <laughs> I'm still stalking you on FlightAware. Yeah, I, I yeah. confess, and. Uh, and so suddenly an email pops up that, uh, and so here's the first part. This is like David and I were commiserating later on, or not commiserating, we were kind of sharing, you know, aston- astonishment.
2: You were busting my chops.
1: Yeah, well, that later on, you were in the air when we were, but Dave and I are going back and forth on email going, okay, it truly is the end of the world because Jeb turned the key before 7 a.m. You got a really early start that day. Yeah. yeah. We did. Where were you going? I mean, you know, you don't have to tell us the detailed details, well, but no, approximately where that- were you going?
2: was going to Shreveport um uh doing a round robin in the same day from Sarasota to Shreveport and turn around and come back
1: yeah i mean you must have uh, hardly been on the ground at all at your destination
2: 30 minutes tops at at both stops mhm yeah wasn't a big deal that, that Cheapest fuel. I paid $3.60 a gallon. 3. 60. 3.60. 360.
1: In where was um, this? 400 game?
2: low lead in, in Mansfield, Louisiana. All right. Three, well, everybody, three make a beeline. Foxtrot 3. Yeah. Make a beeline is right. They got, you know, like a 5,000 foot runway and, you know, new self serve pumps and. I called out there, you know, before I was like, come on, this is a misprint. <laughs> you <know? laughs> do do you all even have any 100 low or is this, you know, what is this? He says, oh, no, this is a city-run airport. We're not trying to make any profit. Um, we just got 6,000 gallons of 100 low lead. Come on down. Yeah, They're open, they're open 24-7. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, that was pretty good.
2: Yeah, that was pretty good. But uh, stopped in there, topped off the tanks, pumped up to uh, Shreveport downtown. Uh, picked up a passenger, turned right back around, fi- followed the flight plan, you know, hopped back in the airplane, and, and came right home. Mm-hmm. How was the flying? The, the flying was good. It was uh, had headwinds going west, as as uh, I'm wont to attract. Um, kept us low. Uh, yeah, it you were really low. You were like 4,000 feet or something. 4,000, yeah. Actually, some somewhere over Louisiana. I didn't know this was possible. I guess it is, west of the Mississippi. Uh, somewhere over Louisiana, myself on another flight, headed to the same airport for the same reason. Um, had, uh, we took no radar, um, clearances, um, non-radar clearances. Like we were both, you know, going GPS direct and he routed me over a couple of VORs and routed the guy, another guy to an intersection and a couple more VORs. And, um, I was, at 4,000 and there's nothing to hit out there. I was just kind of surprised I didn't have radar over that part of Louisiana yeah, at well, 4,000 4, feet.
1: It is so, kind of low. I mean, I, I'm not,
0: I guess you're, you know, it's a. Sometimes that's where the winds are it's,
4: the least no, hurtful.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, and you came back at like eleven thousand. When I was looking yeah. in, yeah, that in, was golden. According to flight aware, you were making one hundred and ninety knots over the ground coming home. A lot, of,
2: a lot of the way, yeah. The highest I saw, I think, was like one ninety five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was coming downhill uh, around Tampa. But um, now nah, the the give back was was well it was five hours going out and four hours coming back. Right, yeah. So, you know, the, the tailwind or the headwind, how you know, depending on how you want to put it, uh, cost me that much or, or benefited me that much. Basically, it was a wash, I think. It would have been 4 plus 30 to get out there and 4 plus 30 to get back, no wind. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's what it is.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, you broke something. You want to talk about that? No. Okay. <laughs> I hate when that happens. I mean, it's just, Jeff, you're building a big list of things we can't talk about because they just annoy the crap out of you when you think about them. So I, I, I'm curious, so how 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 did
2: your arm hold up? My arms are fine. My arms okay. are fine. They're they're not at all sore after all this. All
1: that flying, yeah, right.
2: All that all that flapping. All yeah. that flapping, yeah. All right. But no, it was a good flight. Um, left uh, literally before sunup. Um, got back right at dusk.
1: That's just mind-boggling. Yeah, <laughs> although you did that—you did that in—you uh, did that in Wichita that time too when we were going.
2: Yeah, in Wichita City. when we were going to Ponca City. Yeah, so you, you and did we, and we you have don't. photographic evidence.
1: But but the one in Wichita, you had me and Dave egg and yawn. All right, as near as I can tell, you were on your own on
2: this one. So that's. Well, very, I was. I had a I had a full airplane coming back. Yeah, but uh, um, it was you know a longstanding commitment, and uh, it worked out. Weather, weather cooperated, uh, uh, as as uh, Fire Sign Theater would say. The weather authorities cooperated. Yeah, right. Don't trust that dwarf hand me the pliers. Pardon me, what?
1: It, yeah. Fire Sign Theater. I haven't listened to Fire Sign Theater in a long time. Hey, uh, so at the end of last week's the last episode, um, we uh, Jeb dropped a couple hints about a story that we left on the uh, on the list. Let's go back to it here. Um, we got a, 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 a posting in the forums from listener, uh, as Jeb says, we don't know exactly how you pronounce this, but Jason E.H. Let's say that's how we say it. Jason E.H. Jason posts uh, the headline is a day of firsts, including an on-field, off-field landing of the week. And uh, it's quite a long story here. I'm not sure how to summarize it exactly. Uh, I guess the short version is this guy bought an airplane. Um, he bought an air coupe. And, uh, and he, he went down and checked it out and flew it and, uh, and, and apparently didn't get it checked out very much, like a mechanic and things like that. Um, decided to buy it. Uh, the next day, uh, he, uh, got, he ch- checked out of his hotel and went to the airport to fly it home. The previous owner was there with him. Um, they had a hard time getting it started. And in the process of, of, you know, I don't know what, over priming it or over choking it or I don't know what, um, they, they caused, apparently as a result of these things, caused an engine fire or a fire someplace in the vicinity of the engine, which required a fire extinguisher to put out. And so then they, uh, they examined the engine, they blew out all the powder from the fire extinguisher, decided to go flying, and the guy fired it up and figured out why it wasn't starting very easily and got it started and taxied out and did his run-up and, and, uh, uh, and took off and climbed out and got into flight following. And as he's chugging along at, I guess, what did he say, 3,000 feet, um, he suddenly, what happened? I think he said he got smoke or he said a strong smell of gas in the cockpit. And then he saw some smoke coming from the right side of the cowling. And that's when he decided to get serious. And so he, uh, uh, he, he, said, I know, he declared an emergency. Anyways, he was talking to flight following, so he told them what was going on. Um, he started looking for a place to land. He suddenly realized there was an airport right there. And so he turned to the airport, and he was making an approach to the airport. He started to land on the most obvious runway until he realized that it had X's on it. and And as he said, he decided... He decided
2: uh, <laughs> not to pull an inhoff Not
1: to pull an inhof. All right. He decided not to land on the runway that had the X's, and he still had enough altitude that he was able to turn and get onto the, one of the uh, open runways, and uh, and and landed. You know, I mean, if you can say uneventfully after all this, but uh, got on the ground safely. And uh, and the controllers wanted him to stop on the runways so the emergency gear could could greet him. But he wanted he, the engine the engine was running and there was no open fire. I guess so. He taxied off and. Uh, and then stopped, I guess, on the taxiway or something, where he was greeted by the fire engines and whatnot. I don't know. How have I done? Did I did I do a reasonable job of summarizing yeah, this whole story? Yeah. yeah. Um, is there a, is there a except,
2: link to this one? Except to add um, that um, he, you know, is very um, forthright and very uh, good of him to uh, to to lay this all out.
1: Yes, absolutely, David. It's the first uh, and, link and, and, on the and, list. A day of firsts, including says link.
2: Okay. Okay. Okay, um, but uh, you know, and, and, you know, he's writing about what he learned from all this. Yeah, and, a, a and, number uh, of some good, things. very, very good conclusions.
1: Very good conclusions. To, again, to summarize his conclusions, he talks about. Um, he says, "Get there itis is a, is a problem. I never should have taken off. Oh, he, there was roughness in the mags when he did his run up. All right, I mean." Um, he says, never buy an airplane with a mechanic. Uh, use a checklist. He said, uh, I should have used a checklist, especially with an airplane that I'm not all that familiar with. I would have noticed the fuel valve. Oh, this is when they were trying to start the airplane um, earlier on, and it was starting hard. Uh, wow. This is the one that I think is the like $64,000 answer here. Never attempt a flight without a mechanic looking over the plane after an engine fire. Uh, th- this is the one that, that we... It would roll that
0: mechanic inclusion back about four four stops. How's right. that? Never buy an airplane with that including a mechanics pre-purchase inspection yes. as part of the process. Yes. Exactly. exactly. Um, okay, you move that mechanics involvement way ahead and Probably, if the mechanic—not not not the seller's mechanic, not the mechanic that's been doing the annual for the last umpteen years and really knows it well—I'm sure he does. Mm-hmm. He knows it so well. There's probably things that he doesn't even notice anymore that he noticed the first time and said, "Ah, we can pass on that until next year." Uh, some mechanic that works for you that doesn't know the airplane who spends whatever time necessary. Not even looking at the airplane, but looking through the paperwork, the logs, the maintenance records, uh, the receipts, all the paperwork that's going to go with the airplane, anything that they've got. Then goes out and looks at the airplane and comes back to you with a list that says, well, this could be a good deal, except uh, the fuel valve's got a problem and one of the mags is intermittent and yada, 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 and it could catch fire. Yeah, uh, The mag could quit working, or both mags could quit working, or uh, you could find yourself 100 feet off the end of the runway with no place to go and no engine.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Move that mechanics involvement back to before you ever give them anything more than earnest money
4: mm-hmm.
0: and then live to brag about what a clean airplane you bought or complain about what a lemon you almost bought. Hmm.
1: A few more of his uh, his uh, you know lessons learned here. Um, he talks about uh, reinforcing the fact that you aviate, navigate, communicate. He says, uh, you know, fly the airplane, basically, is what it boils down to. Uh, don't mess with the radio. Exactly, the airplane. exactly. Yeah. Uh, he said, I was glad I was using flight following, um, because that put him in communication more quickly. Uh, he says, I was glad I didn't pull an Inhofe. It turns out that uh, the x out runway was not only closed, it was, in fact, not clear. Uh, there was... Uh, Uh, chunks of the runway were missing, and it would have been really, really dangerous and probably had a very, very different outcome if he had tried to land on the X'd-out runway. Um, Let's see now. Um, He said, I was glad there was a fire extinguisher nearby, uh, and... uh and then he finally says, uh, "Now I understand the saying: good judgment comes from experience, but experience comes from bad judgment." Yeah. So, yeah. I'm I'm reluctant to be too rough on this guy because I am too. He's I, been he's he's very very open and he's he's trying to share his experience so that we can all learn something from it. But it just strikes me that he made some some not great decisions here. Um, I, I I don't want to be rough on him, but I would I I, I hope he realizes
0: yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah how freaking fortunate he is. That all those little errors occurred and didn't compound into him being a statistic that we were talking about uh, as a fatality. Poor guy bought this airplane and didn't know this, that, and the other thing, and it killed him. To yeah. tell about it, that's man. Yeah. It, you know, I hope you're buying a lottery ticket this weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. The mechanic thing, David, yeah. I agree. Um, the note that I wrote back to him in the in the forums was uh, that uh, you know it just seems to me that if if you have an if you have an engine fire while trying to start your airplane that requires a fire extinguisher, you don't then say, okay, I think it's yeah. still okay to go flying. I just yeah.
2: that just there's a there's a lot of things that that um, he did wrong. There's a lot of things that you know he he uh, decided to do or, or was aware of and just kind of glossed over in, in his haste to you know or exuberance of buying an airplane or exuberance. Or haste, i think that's probably the word yeah. yeah hey haste to get it home. everything's going to be fine kind of kind of outlook Um he, he's very fortunate uh... he's very we're very fortunate that he wrote about this
4: mm-hmm. yeah in, in absolutely
2: that, in that we can discuss it and, and we can all try to learn something from it but one of the things we can learn here is there are a lot of you know standard standard thing we've all uh... been told from almost day one this accident or this event led up you know had had a chain of events pre, uh, preceding it uh if we if we break a few l- links in that chain, the event's not going to happen and uh, there are a number of jumping off points and he he acknowledges this there's a number of jumping off points uh that he could have st- said all right stop this stuff's piling up a little bit too much We need to take take a step back and investigate some of these things um it's easy to see, you know, forget that they're piling up. It's, oh, well, we'll worry about that. You when know, Yeah, that's, that's okay. I knew about that. Um, they start piling up, and, and sooner or later, you're going to be left holding the bag, and the bag's not going to have a whole lot in it.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, and,
0: it, and it, 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 what Chad just said, things start piling up because if you look through any number of accident and incident reports, uh pilot and controllers, or pilot in particular, uh reports, GA and and and, and airline to to call back to NASA's aviation safety reporting system. Uh, you'll find it at almost no time does a pilot wind up with his wingtips in a bind from one little mistake. It's almost always the compound the result of compounded mistakes
4: yeah it 's <laughs> make one course.
0: little one, and then you kind of blow it off and say well it 'll get better later, or you know and I got to thinking about it, and how bad could it be and, and wow i didn't know how bad it could be until it got that bad and uh, excellent job that he did, putting this into words, uh you know for folks that are contemplating by an airplane, you all know how we feel about it, I mean the only Jeb owns one, Jack wants two, and I'm working on it. And again, and that's in all of our lists. Me, I'm I'm the most impatient SOB on the planet when it comes to getting stuff that I really want. And Christmas Day was always the longest wait of my life. Followed by waiting for the pre purchase inspection to get done <laughs> on an airplane I wanted to buy. So uh follow what we've often said before about things that we've talked about here. Read this, and then don't do it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't add anything to yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, again, th- thank you to uh, to Jason Eh for uh, sharing yeah, this with us. Time. And uh, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> we we all. I hope we all learned a lesson from this. And uh, um, and, and you know, th- there are aspects of this where you did a really great job of flying the airplane. Of you know of. Of you
2: know, what was it? He did, we, what, he, he did what, a great he did a great job of flying the airplane uh, all throughout, and that's a testament, but not only to his training but to his skill. Yeah. Um. What what where all this falls down is in the decision making category. Right. The, the decision to launch the airplane in the first place. Yeah.
1: It's kind of interesting. I just remembered that we talked about an episode, a, a, a situation a couple episodes ago where the pilot had uh, engine running rough in flight. And he was all freaking out and trying all kinds of things to get the engine uh, uh, running smoothly again. And then all of a sudden, the engine quit. And he said, "He said mm-hmm. once the engine quit, I f- suddenly everything all my exactly. problems were solved." He said, exactly. it, 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 and "It really focuses your mind <laughs> yeah. on
0: one on yeah. one final one final problem to solve."
1: And and that's almost like the case here with Jason Eh because it's like from the moment that he saw the smoke coming out of the engine and cruise, he suddenly started making every single decision right in my view. Right. Um, I agree. Um, his his thinking, his decision making process kind of very really changed at that point almost. Um and, and I'm jealous. I've never been able to get a fire truck ride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyways thank you to jason uh congratulations on getting on the ground safely even if it was on field and, uh, and, and
2: congratulations and, and, on the airplane owner uh, exactly exactly congratulations yeah. on that too
1: yeah it is a cool little airplane once you it, 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 kind of it, get the bugs out of it and uh,
2: it gets it, it it's more fun later on yeah there you go it, yeah it gets more fun
1: yeah once once yeah. you can actually complete a flight you know it's going to be a whole different experience uh i guess he did complete it gets, a it gets better that was, that was a joke. So, uh, let's see now. I'm going to skip ahead one here so that I can go back. Uh, Jeb, uh, countdown to Skynet, mission creep. Um, <laughs> so, so, the feds... Here's a recurring theme. There's a, a recurring theme here. So, the feds... I don't know all the details of this story, but the feds used a drone to arrest some folks on the ground. Is that the story?
2: Yeah, yeah. that's basically the story. The North, North Dakota uh, Sheriff's Office requested and obtained uh, um, dedicated use of a predator drone to uh, track some um, citizens uh, on their own pro- over their own property um, so, that, so that arrests could be affected. And according to the story, um, let's see, the, the, this case, quote, the first known instance of predator drones being used in the arrest of a civilian. Local law enforcement said that since these arrests, they've used the true drones stationed at Grand Forks Air Force Base only to conduct surveillance, albeit about two dozen times. The FBI and DEA say they use the drones to conduct other domestic investigations.
1: So these things are flying in regular airspace now? Did I miss That's, a memo?
2: No, you didn't miss a memo. You didn't miss a memo.
1: I thought they still had them blocked off in boxes so that they could test, you know... The well, you know they have the ability to create
0: these little things called TFRs okay. on a very yeah, short no, notice. Yeah, yeah, you think that's what I ha- I guess maybe that is what happened here, huh? They uh maybe not a TFR, but you know they it, 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 it that's the thing about uh our responsibility for being up to date on notices to airmen uh is that that responsibility doesn't stop when you get updated and then take off. We're held responsible for the ones that come out while we're in the air.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, and this could have come out while we're in the air.
1: Yep. Now, now the the the, the companion story to this that makes this one all the more sobering um, is that uh, I think just about everybody knows it's been in the news for the last week, couple of weeks or so, that we lost a drone uh, to Iran. Um, they uh they managed to capture one of our uh our, i forget what brand it is what what model it is but uh,
2: <laughs> it's a drone
1: 4G, yeah, yeah it's a drone um and it's one it looks like a flying wing it's like it's pretty apparently a pretty serious high-tech super secret uh, uh, uh spy drone or something like that and uh and and that's not bad enough all right it appears that it, i don't know how to put this exactly because we don't know but 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 by all accounts, it looks like the Iranians actually managed to hack this thing and hijack it. and Yeah, but not hack it in the way of first instinct.
0: What have you heard, then? What's the story that you know? Well, my first instinct was that they'd hacked its control architecture yeah, and had taken it over. Right. And the word in circulation uh, since, I think, Sunday was that what they did was hack its navigation Uh, input, and spoofed it into believing that it was somewhere else, so that it then turned to go to what it thought was the airport, the runway, where it had been programmed to land. That's actually... It lost contact, and it landed out wings level, you know, smooth and all that, where it thought was the right spot. Yeah. But they spoofed the GPS system on it. Now, that's a scary freaking idea.
1: Yeah, no, tell me about it. I mean, yeah it's It's actually very clever, I have to admit right but uh but really frightening to realize that there are these
2: weaknesses in this in the systems it's just this shouldn't be possible when when Dave was talking about what they were hacking and before he got to the uh, um the story of what he'd heard, I was thinking that this was a drone that was in operation over Iran, and if there was any hacking done to it, the, the Iranians just hacked into it to shut off the power told it to shut down, yeah. But no, because
1: it didn't crash.
2: Well, it, it, we don't. We're not sure. I've seen some some photos of this, and some people who, are anyway, more knowledgeable about some of this than I am, had you know taken the original images, run them through Photoshop, you know, blown them up, done a lot of little stuff to them. Uh, it's not at all clear um, that. Um, well, let's put it this way: it appears the um, the wings had been either damaged in the uh, uh accident, damaged in the landing, or had uh had been like cut off and then put back on oh, really? for display. Uh-huh. There were th- you know, things like that going on. Uh it's it's from those photos, you know, photos alone of course, you know, you can't really draw a conclusion. Yeah. But um uh, uh it it appears certainly to be a bona fide drone. A bona fide US drone.
1: Right. So we got this story, we got the story from a couple months ago where they got vi- computer viruses in the control systems at the wherever it is yeah. in Nevada where they right. they fly these things from. Right. Well, some uh, of them are flown from here in Wichita. Yeah, okay. So I got to figure that the drone command they're having some serious meetings right now, you know. They're they're this is
2: this yeah. is I wouldn't. I
1: wouldn't.
2: You don't think this is a big deal? It's surely sure. It's a big deal. Do I think they think it's a big deal? No. <laughs> no, I gotta
1: think they kind You know, come on. They captured one of our drones. Oh, it has It, it,
2: it has. They're already working
0: on how to keep the spoofing of the GPS navigation system from reoccurring. That's. I mean, because they didn't hack into its system and said, take over, you know, roll, pitch, and yaw right they tricked it into believing it was some place where it wasn't yeah but and, and and telling it it had lost contact
1: and it goes off and goes back but that's sort of a that's sort of a back way of controlling
2: you
0: know
1: well, back door, pitch, front door, door
0: if off. it gets you to your door then it's as sure.
2: good as FedEx yeah. i think it's exactly right it's just the same as trying to hack the, the uh, engine control and just tell it to shut down you know same same outcome different day
4: yeah,
2: yeah. um but um uh, I I I don't know. I I don't I haven't seen the Air Force. You know, um, emphatically say that this wasn't hacked. I haven't seen that at all. Um, yeah, you know, but, the re- you know, the
1: response was kind of, a, and I'm totally speculating now, but the, the the response was really weird. It was almost like. You know, this is serious. Why didn't they send in a couple of fighter planes and bomb the living crap out of this place? Well, because it's an act of war. <laughs>
2: Hello, come in. <laughs> well, no, it's a sovereign country. It's, it's, an a sovereign... Of war to, it's an act of war to have the drone over their airspace, too. Capturing the drone was an act of war. Yeah. Well, no, no capturing not, the drone. Uh, that's no,
1: self-defense.
2: That's, that's you know. self dude. Hey, dude, you drop an airplane on my property, mm, all of a sudden it's mine.
1: That's Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's the way the Air Force looks at it, too. Well, well, I'm, sure, here's, I'm here's
2: sure, sure it's the, the way the Iranians look at it.
0: <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, they're, they're, how you react to this has uh, got to be as much about not glorifying their success with uh, a, an emotional reaction that says, you know, holy Frack, how did they do that? We've got real problems here, yada yada yada. It's kind of go, Yeah, okay, they got lucky this time, uh, you know, probably it'd never happen again. Uh you don't want to encourage them with any kind of thing that makes it they them feel like that they've really, really found you know, the keys to the kingdom here. Uh in the meantime, Engineers and software people are—they're off very quietly writing code to try to make sure that this doesn't happen again, and we'll never hear about it.
4: Yeah, maybe.
0: Here's what bothers me most is that somehow or another they've got an ability to tell a GPS it's someplace else, which means overriding the signal strength of the satellites that it was. Yeah, supposed to be listening well, didn't, to. They
2: probably didn't set you, up a whole
1: bunch of light squared towers
2: and. That, <laughs> didn't you see that that James Bond movie where the the bad guys had this box that would spoof uh, a GPS and? put well, i known Brit- they're out there. Yeah, put right. a British frigate in Chinese waters or something.
0: Something <laughs> along those lines, and there's been tests on some of that uh, done uh, uh, here in the states and a lot in Europe, uh, but. It, they seldom had very much range. Uh, you know, they were seldom uh, able to affect some type, some level of receivers, and I would have thought that this one would be hardened against something like that. But uh, what bothers me most is if this can be done there, it could be done here. Right. Uh, if it's done to something like an unarmed predator drone, uh, it doesn't matter if it's armed, if the directions it's giving cause it to put itself someplace hurtful to people.
1: Right. Is there any buzz that they've grounded grounded the drone fleet at this point? Would they tell us? Well, you, might, you might hear through the through grapevine, or you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know.
2: It, the Iranian air traffic control system is taking a well-deserved break. Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, remember the F one seventeen stealth fighter? You know the 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 the, the machine that inspired uh, uh, the nobile home built. Uh, you, you look at it and you go, there's no way that flies. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that puppy was around and operational for a long time before the first Gulf War. And then oh, yeah. in the first Gulf War, it's kind of like the star of the show. Why are we able to put so much ardent ordinance inside hard airspace so accurately and so casually free? Well, you see, we got this thing that the kids see on radar and it goes in at night and it wreaks havoc and it comes out again. Let us show you. Uh, they're not at the, let us show you part of that stuff on these drones yet. So we know yeah. they're there, they talk about no, they it. Don't. They're not, you know, this isn't full disclosure.
2: In, in, in the immortal words of Don Henley, you don't want to know how far it's gone.
1: <laughs> David, what's this, uh, this uh, uh, flight story? I thought I knew what this was, and now I'm looking at the first couple paragraphs, and I think it's something else. This is—is is this about the uh, fact that the feds want to charge for chart data, or is this something else? Oh. <laughs> Four flight, this is a this is a from from the Four Flight blog, um, um, on Aeronav's digital chart agent proposal. There was yeah. a meeting last week, but Aeronav the, the Aeronav were the folks who claimed ownership of all the chart images. That's the outfit that the oh, no, FAA. No, not the chart that's... images. I'm sorry. The the algorithm for displaying chart images.
2: No. N- no. no. Um, no. Aeronav N- is what? A- Aeronav is the FAA's agency that okay. publishes aeronautical I'm charts. sorry.
1: Yeah, I I stand corrected. This is what I thought it was in the first place. So you're saying there's a big meeting about the whole thing about the feds wanting to charge more money for the charts.
0: Last week. Yeah. And what happened? And and, and everybody who's involved in in this user groups and companies that use the charts uh the charting data uh, you know in for profit enterprises, everybody was allowed into this except the, the the general public through the media so this thing from for flight is kind of one of the few comprehensive insights from their perspective into what happened at that meeting and what some of the implications could be uh AOPA did a little bit on it uh We know that there 's a lot more to be said and done yet uh. I put this up for people to read and form their opinions and to kind of get engaged here because this could be one of those little, you know, pimple on a gnat's butt thing that becomes infected and festered and, and becomes more of a money issue than it should and an access issue than it should. And I thought it was important for our listeners to have an opportunity to read some of the more salient information that was out there on it. Uh, I'm kind of a mind right now that why is it suddenly so much more expensive to do when you've been doing it for so many years for the money that you were getting?
2: Exactly. Exactly. And you know, all of a sudden they found this, this law that was passed in 2008. Um, and they're using that as, what, what's the rush? A. B., um, the cat's out of the bag, guys. You've been making them available free for, for the download for way too long. That ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. And now now you want to go back and start charging for it all. You you used to charge for it. You made the digital stuff available. And now that you have some market penetration, you want to start charging for it. Um, that's, you know, the old bait and switch and yada yada. But, uh... uh um I, I guess two things here. One, I, I really um um look outside at you know at who's been agitating the FIA on this, and I you know there's some usual suspects that come to mind of um of the FAA charting data starting to get a, a greater and greater uh market share. And uh, I'm sure that some people have decided that you know maybe they should um dig something up and, and try to force the FAA to cut back and eliminate some of their competition. Uh the second thing is I really 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 wish the former head of the AOPA um, uh John Baker was still the head of the AOPA because he would the, the 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 histrionics, the language and the attitude that would come forth from John Baker on this subject would be the the greatest entertainment this industry has seen in a long 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 time. And and that is to say I'm 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 a little bit Okay. Underwhelmed. Okay, I'll say I'm a little bit pissed off at some of the alphabet soup. They're not. They're not reacting more vociferously to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's. It's. What I've seen so far has been very, very milk toast. And hey, let's cut a deal. Nonsense. And I don't feel like cutting a deal on this. Yeah, this is, I, I this this is just I, stupid. Yeah, Jim, I agree I think it was...
0: with you. I, I think if we just went back as far as Phil Boyer, we would see. Uh, uh, a different level of uh, of uh, of uh, reaction to this uh because of the impact on the rank and file pilot population uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: yeah and 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 more more important though just as a matter of policy the f a a should be making it more easy to get this charting data and less expensive to obtain and use this charting data. Than it is doing just as a matter of of policy. Their policy shouldn't be try to try to, um, uh, ra- I don't mind raising money on this, but they're going, they're going about this way the wrong way. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they should be promoting this product. They should be out there for the good of the industry, for the good of the, the, uh, uh for the good of the economy for that matter, yeah. giving this stuff away and, um, they're not. It's, it's the exact wrong uh, um, type of policy that they that they're implementing. There's no. It's not broken. Except in their minds, they shouldn't be trying to fix it.
0: Right. Well, it, you know the, the the contention here that AeroNav needs to recover five million in costs in order to meet the financial objectives promised as part of the AeroNav's conversion to quote unquote a high performance a high performing organization in 2008. Uh high performing by what standard? Uh penetrating the market, the pilot population with with affordable, accessible charting and approach data. In my mind should be the only mission objective of this organization exactly. and doing that at the lowest possible cost to make it as affordable and as accessible as possible. Uh, and putting a little more of the emphasis on the reseller's cost for those that are converting it to third party products to fit their specific applications. Uh, but for the guy that just wants to be able to access the charts and, and, and plates and print them and use them, uh, you know, one of the lo- logics of having that data available for free was something that Phil Boyer pushed during his years at AOPA. Because, look, you already have the data. It's already in computer computer form. If you make it available to people for free to print on their own, you're not having to incur the cost of printing, which may have had the effect of cutting down on chart and, and plate sales to the point where now they're not generating what used to cover the cost. Well, there's a way to balance that out with the commercial uh, users of the data uh, that doesn't impinge on the basic mission of it, Uh and if this is a result of converting to a high performing organization and it's not to the pilot population's benefit, I don't care whether it benefits a high performing organization's bottom line when it's a government organization in service to the pilot community. So if that's the if that's what's brought us to this point, how about we unconvert it and bring it back to the kind of organization it was before, one that performed for the service of the pilots.
2: Jeb, well, I think and, was- and, the, and the the final nail in the coffin of this proposal is simply this, that the FAA's proposal, as I understand it, and it's not on this it's not on this page uh from uh Flight, but other reporting has has stated that casual individual uh, purchase or a casual purchase by an individual won't be allowed. You'll have to go through some vendor, some FAA approved vendor uh that's, and that's the only way you'll be able to get the charge it that's that's just uh, uh fox trot uniform uh, as far as i'm that's,
0: concerned that's yeah absolutely absolutely and it is not in the service of the pilot population no, it's in the service all. of private business and jeb, I, got I think nothing was, against business making a profit
1: but this is a government service jeb i think it was you who pointed out that this is a little bit reminiscent of uh about fifteen years ago, when the feds decided they were going to raise the price uh, on on weather data,
2: and uh, right, what, what became of that? uh... it died. Uh, it died of, of quick and, and justified death yeah. in the Senate.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, do, what's the chances that this will just go that way too? Is it's just a f- right now slim and none, unless
2: some people start raising hell. Mm hmm.
1: And a lot of
0: this financial issue would be. Resolved at the FAA, if the the folks that we send to the big Capitol building in D.C., you know, caught up, and after four and a half years, or oh, well, actually six and a half years of discussing it, actually grew up and did their jobs and passed an FAA authorization that, if they happen to look around, includes some excise tax increases, some fuel tax increases that the g a communities agreed to because it knows the agency needs more money to do some of the things that it needs to do this could fit right into that but not without the monkeys getting at the banana farm and 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 finish doing their work
1: Yeah. all right we better move on here um, did i just call them monkeys he did Good. <laughs> chimps um, so, uh, so I hate, I hate it when this happens. Um, this is uh, Colona. International Airport in, uh, Vancouver, I guess, uh, Canada, because it's the Vancouver Sun uh, website, vancouversun.com. Small plane flips over at Kelowna International Airport. A pilot and his student lived some frightening moments Sunday after the small plane they were in flipped upside down at Kelowna, British Columbia. Cessna 172 was taxiing at the north end of the runway when it was suddenly hit by a wave of exhaust from the jet engine of another plane. Apparently they taxied up a little bit too close, or I don't know what, maybe somehow they tangled with the jet wash of a, uh...
0: Oh, yeah, that is a Canadian airport. It's got a, uh, a uh, Yankee
1: Lima Whiskey's designator. Yeah. Interestingly, both both of these airplanes, the 172 and the jet, are owned by the same outfit, Flightcraft, according to this story. Um... Oh, that's going to be an interesting conversation with the insurance adjuster. Yeah, I know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Staff the staff were checking the power of the engine and the turbulence created by the engine was so strong it caused the smaller plane to flip over.
2: They'll probably be having a come to Jesus meeting in the operation shack also. Yeah, I know. Really? All right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what went who knows what we did wrong here? Uh, the pilot and the student are said to be shaken but otherwise unharmed, uh, <laughs> shaken but stirred, something like that. Um, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police,
0: as well as flight craft, are investigating. Yeah. It's not clear whether the Canadian Transportation Safety Board will get involved, as the plane was never airborne. Never airborne,
1: <laughs> which I think is an interesting distinction here. Well, uh, it was briefly. Strictly I, speaking, I was it s- was, yes. <laughs> yeah, you had to get airborne to get upside down. I know. Um, How but, do you log
0: that flight? 0.000 hours, 01 hours. It
1: lasted six seconds. But is that true? I mean, they're talking about Canada here, and I don't know, if We but... So if an aircraft is in a, if an airplane crashes on takeoff, never actually managed to lift off, certainly the NTSB is going to get involved. The Not NTSB, necessarily.
2: The NTS, well, the NTSB has the authority to, to investigate all uh, civilian aircraft accidents in the United States, period, end of statement. Ah, okay. They often delegate that 99% of the time. Well, 90% of the time, I guess, they delegate to the FAA. That's right. Uh, or or you know there, there's no investigation there's a form is filled out and uh it's it's classified as a uh an incident not an accident and sometimes an accidents would be classified that way I would guess too. But I mean that's their authority they delegated and they have discretion on how to exercise it. Um, but if you read the um, I think if you read the uh NTSB regs it's anytime the uh, well maybe I'm confusing regs I'm I'm thinking of the catalog time um, any time the air, for, as soon as the aircraft starts moving with the intent of flight, that's flight time. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. The NTSB certainly has the ability to, to investigate uh, ground-only accidents, just as the FAA does. Um, um, but the FAA's authority, of course, is just to verify that you know there have been no uh, enforcement violations. Um, but other than that, you know, there here we go I know. whether 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 the canadian tsb is going to look into this i would i would doubt it a
0: yeah so anyway, then there's then, been a, we of have aircraft
2: a being blown off the-
0: there's a regulatory threshold here uh you know for what the, the line separating an an incident from an accident but that uh, that has uh, to
1: do with reportability it doesn't necessarily have to do with ntsb investigation i'm asking right yeah okay anyways um we we commiserate with the folks in this 172. Um, don't taxi behind a jet. Just don't.
2: It's it's a bad idea.
1: Yeah, really. You know, doctor, it hurts when. It's I a do bad
2: this. idea if you're in a jet. Yeah. You
1: know, it's just doctor, bad... it hurts
0: when I do this. Don't do that. All right? Yeah, and and speaking from experience, if you if if you worry not knowing how close behind a jet you can be in a single engine piston, you're already too close.
1: Okay. See, I was going to move on, but now you said from experience, what'd you do, David? Got too close i didn 't
0: get i didn 't get flipped. I stopped about sixty feet behind a, a southwest seven thirty seven at Kansas City International uh, in the oh, Cherokee yeah. that we had years ago. I was picking Annie up on a flight coming back on southwest It was dark uh, my depth perception may not have been as good as it should i I was about sixty sixty five feet behind that jet when he added power. To turn on from the taxiway onto the runway and made us hop
1: about eight feet. Man, that's got to uh, like wake you up. Oh,
0: are you can? Uh, we had you know all the control inputs that we could possibly put in it to work against that jet blast, particularly as it started to turn and affect one side more than the other. Uh, and there was nothing else we could do except hold on and keep our fingers crossed that it wouldn't get any worse.
2: Um. Uh, I only have one question. Yeah. Did you log it?
1: <laughs> it would have been three touch and goes right there. <laughs> uh, let's see now here. I just want to jump through these last items so we can get moving on here. Um uh, so Jeb, everybody's talking about this article in I think it was Popular Mechanics that theoretically right. uh, describes and summarizes and tells the story about Air France four four seven. Um, are you familiar with this story? Have you read it? I,
2: I, I have read it. Um, is it I worth am the familiar read? With it. it is worth the read. I'm not sure I agree with everything in there. Um, he's, he's part of the article, or a lot of the article is based on uh, a the translation of the. Uh, cockpit voice recorder, and it's not clear how the cockpit voice recorder uh, came into, um, 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 I don't know, the author's, uh, uh, well, apparently there's a book um, uh, in French um, um, that the writer used extensively to prepare the, this article, and uh, we're kind of depending on that, that, um that document that CVR uh, transcript being accurate i'm not convinced that it's it's an official
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, transcript okay. um, it didn't come directly from from the BEA and the Francis version of the NTSB but um, it's a great story it's a great timeline as to how this happened what happened next in the cockpit um it's it's not at all clear to me that some of the details that he um, puts in to the uh, Uh, to the article are, in fact, accurate. I'm I'm just not certain of that. I want to hear a more authoritative source, and that would be the BEA.
1: Okay. David, uh, apparently there's been some progress or some change in the way sport pilot examiners are something. What's what's this all about?
0: Oh, let's open that puppy up. David, you
1: still there? Yeah,
0: I'm still here. I'm refreshing my memory. Fine. Sorry,
1: yep. I just want to make sure you didn't lose you. And how many quarters
2: does it take? I know. Yeah.
0: Uh it's it's sixteen. Uh <laughs> that's four bucks worth. Okay, here we go. Uh the a had been pushing for a correction in this work pilot designated pilot examiners uh regulation that required them to have a medical to be able to administer Pilot examinations to sport pilots for which no medical is required, only a driver's license. Uh, and the uh, revision to the FAARs in it Part 61 uh, it kind of was against the whole thread of the sport pilot movement and the idea of being an easy way in. Uh, you don't have to have a medical, I believe, to uh, be, a, for example, a sport pilot instructor uh you do to be a certificated flight instructor if you want to do private and above uh, so this requiring the examiners to have a third class medical certificate was kind of one of those had to slip through somebody didn't catch it and of course once it gets locked in it's easier it it's not all that easy to change uh, the FAA changed that uh, effective December sixteen a couple of days ago uh, the effective par sixty one twenty three c has changed to read uh So that you don 't have to have a medical you 'd either have to have a medical or a driver 's license uh and setting out the privileges for examiners uh for the uh, sport pilot, so that 's a move in the right direction. I put it here in part to encourage the f a a to take the same kind of smart thinking and in sync with the whole idea of sport pilot. And allow sport pilot instructional time rendered by sport pilot instructors to count toward the private pilot's license Mm -hmm. since it's the same bloody part of the same syllabus. Mm -hmm. And stop saying that, stop forcing sport pilots that learn from sport instructors to have to repeat that first 10 hours of dual and 10 hours of solo because they're saying it doesn't count because it didn't come from a certificated flight instructor. It's dumb. It makes no sense Uh, on its face. You're covering the same parts of the syllabus in the first 10 hours on both of them. And, yeah, I know, uh, there's going to be a flight instructor or an examiner send me a note and say, well, yeah, but sport pilots don't get time doing this and don't get time doing that. That's right, because it's not required for the sport pilot's license. It's required for the private pilot's license and the remaining time that's needed for a sport pilot to round out the instructional duel. And solo hours are where you can add that instruction for the private pilot candidate moving up from the sport pilot. That's when you can add night and when you can add some of the, if they haven't already gotten the long cross-country sign-off that sport pilots can get or the Class B and C airspace access that they can get with a special endorsement. Uh, You know, and and that stuff's all available through the sport pilot instructor. So, uh, come on, FAA, you were smart this time. Be smart another step.
1: Okay. Uh, Jeb Uh called our attention to an interesting statistical uh, uh, streak that we just uh, uh, passed a milestone. What's this?
2: According, let me let me open the link real quick. Okay, according to the Aviation Safety Network, which is uh, part of the Flight Safety Foundation, uh, this week and this was posted uh, uh, as of t- Saturday, the December seventeenth, which not coincidentally is the Wright Brothers uh, the anniversary of the Wright Brothers' first flight. Uh, as of that day, uh, this the, marked the longest period without a fatal airline accident. Um, the official quote is that this week marked the longest period without a fatal airliner accident in modern aviation history. As of today, Saturday, December 17, 2011, there have been no fatal airliner ac- accidents since October 3. And that's worldwide. That's, that's not in the U.S. That's worldwide. An accident-free period of 65 days and counting. Now, the large print giveth and the small print taketh away The ASN defines, and it's certainly a reasonable explanation, a reasonable definition. Uh, The Aviation Safety Network defines an airliner accident as, quote, an occurrence associated with the operation of a commercial multi-engine airplane model with a certificated maximum passenger configuration of 14 or more passengers, which takes place between the time any person boards the aircraft with the intention of flight until such time as all such persons have disembarked. In which a person on the airplane is fatally injured and the airplane is damaged beyond repair. So we're talking about basically 65 days without a fatal accident um, worldwide airliner service, and that's quite an achievement, I think.
0: Yeah. Now, now 67 days in counting.
2: 67 days in counting, as far as we can tell.
1: Yep. And we've apparent we've obviously jinxed it. So.
2: No, of course. Yeah. They'll they'll blame it on us.
1: Finally, Jeb. Uh, uh, yet another reason to keep your seatbelts fastened.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let me open this one, too. Come on. You can do it. There you go. Okay, great. Apparently, Qantas uh, uh, A330 uh, flew into some turbulence recently, and uh, some, uh, at least 60 people did not have their seatbelts fastened when this happened, Mm -hmm. uh, floated into the ceiling. So, according to this um, article in the Australian... Uh, Australian website. Um, the wild ride saw at least 110 people injured. There were 300 somebody, some on some out on board. Uh, 303 passengers on board. 110 of them injured. 51 of them seriously enough to require hospital treatment. Nine of the aircraft's 12 crew members were also injured. Putting aside. W- why the airplane uh, went through these sudden excursions? It's not at all clear. Well, c- according to this same article, the Airbus A330 pitched down twice due to a combination of problems involving its flight control computers and a component called an air data inertial reference unit. Um, I'm just not sure the 330 is fully baked yet. But putting all <laughs> that aside, yeah. uh, the reason number, you know, whatever to keep your seatbelt on when you're on an airplane. Yeah. It just boggles the mind. What what are people thinking? It's so easy it. to do.
1: I mean, what, what is the big deal? I I I, I live in a
0: state where twenty five percent of the people still don't put a seatbelt on in their cars.
1: I live in a state where it's not a law. You don't have to. Well, it's barely a law here. Uh,
0: you know, it, it, if you get pulled over for it here, I think the fine is
1: five bucks.
2: I, <laughs> Excuse here, me. Here, I, my, my experience is you. you You have to commit some other violation before they'll pull you over. Yeah,
1: different states have that kind of a law that you can't.
0: Well, uh, we just changed to one that makes it a primary one now where they can pull you over for not having the belt on versus anything else. Uh, But the state legislature deliberately set the fine low because they were being forced to to get federal highway money. Uh, You know, they didn't like that. They wanted the money, but they wanted people to be able to live free. Free to bounce around the inside of the automobile. That's the same thing that happens if you're on an airplane and it's moving and you don't have a seatbelt on. Well, I mean, I, hell, I'd strap down my coffee cup on an airplane if it would work.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. A- in the immortal words of Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> there you go. Shout-outs. What do we got here? You just took two of mine, so I don't know what. Uh, you
1: know. Okay, uh, let's see now. Well, here's, I got one uh, real quick one here. Um, I just learned this this afternoon. A uh, shout-out to... Uh, To uh, uh, Acro Camper and uh, and UCAP listener uh, Jim, I'm not sure if I should say his last name. Jim R, I'm going to say Jim R, and uh, who uh, suffered a bit of a medical emergency in the last couple days and uh, is uh, is uh, going through some stuff. Uh, It sounds like everything's going to turn out okay, anyways, and uh, um, we're glad of that. But I just wanted to say get well to uh, Jim R, uh, who is uh, going through a little bit of a rough patch right now. So uh, that's my first one. Let's see now. Who's got one? David, you got one? Uh, just a real quick and dirty to uh, the
0: folks that are organizing the uh, Cub Fly-In at Oshkosh this year in commemoration of the j three seventy fifth 75th anniversary. Uh, great idea. Uh, I hope I can be out someplace to actually watch a sea of little yellow cubs uh, coming, and screaming and in together. Well screaming in together come cruising together <laughs> i <in,
2: in laughs> like to see that too but i don't think it's going to happen <laughs> there
0: is no happier looking airplane on the planet than a j3
2: yeah so. speaking of which uh i've got a shout out
1: here to uh listener uh, rick s uh who is one of the regulars at our uh our meetup brunch in nashua uh he's the guy who flies his uh his no electric system cub down from vermont and uh he uh you know, calls ahead and tells the tower he's coming and, uh, um, flies in uneventfully and has breakfast with us. Um, his cub was featured, uh, in a photo spread for, uh, AOPA on the AOPA website recently.
4: Oh, very
1: cool. oh He has it uh, in the wintertime. He has it on skis and, uh, and there was a really nice picture in, uh, uh, on the AOPA, uh, in their forums. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes, but, uh, but congratulations to Rick. It's a really nice airplane. It's interesting. You know, he calls ahead to Nashua and, ha- and apparently gets in no problem. Um, we had our meetup in, uh, at Barnes in Westfield, Massachusetts, a-, a few weeks back. And he was on his way to uh, to uh, uh, join us there and uh, had to land uh, before coming into the area because they would not clear him into the area. He could not get permission to fly his no radio aircraft into uh, Westfield. Um that was the day, by the way. I, you'll remember I told the story about how we saw something on the order of twelve fighter planes coming and going at, at Westfield Barnes that day. That may have played into the fact that they didn't want the no radio Cub in the pattern. Yeah. But I don't yeah, know. That would, that would really well, really you, know, a, you know, they have
0: a the, 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 the military has, a, has has rules about foreign object damage. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, I'm sorry, Jeff, what were you saying?
2: I was going to say, it was pretty much the same thing. I was going to say, it really sucked to get impaled by an F-16. Yeah, I know. Ask
1: Santa and his sleigh from last week. Uh, Let's see now. What else we got here? Um, A cool video on the Internet. You should take a look at it. It's a time-lapse of the uh, construction process of building a, is it pronounced Newport 28? Um, A a really cool uh, uh, antique replica uh, biplane. And uh, and he's uh, he's photographed all sorts of aspects of the construction process. It's it's very very in- interesting to watch, you know this this speeded up construction process. Um, it really goes to show you how much work goes into to building one of these airplanes. Because even sped up, it still was a tiring process to watch. It's uh, it was pretty interesting. And uh, last one I've got here is just a quick shout out to uh, to uh, Bert Rutan and uh, and uh, oh. Uh, what's Allen's first name? Uh, the Microsoft billionaire Paul, Paul Allen. Allen thank Paul you. Allen. Who have teamed up once again? Um, they, uh, uh, of course, were uh, Paul Allen was the one of the primary financiers behind the uh, Spaceship One program, and now they're teaming up again to build um, an even larger launch platform aircraft. Apparently, um, that's currently being called the Strato Launch. And a story in Avweb, which you can take a look at. R- Rutan Allen team up for Strato launch, um, so that'd be kind of interesting. We'll see what becomes of that. Uh, you know, Bert Rutan just really seems unable to retire, apparently, because we had a story just a couple episodes ago where he's building a, uh, a, a designing a, another airplane, a smaller airplane. So,
0: yeah, I remember going to a bunch of parties for uh, aviation journalists uh, starting early in my career, where they knew better than to call it a retirement party. We call them change of workload
4: parties (laughs) because
0: that's what was going to happen. They were going to come in less often, but they were going to keep working. Uh, I never expected Bert to move up there to Idaho and then go, "Uh, let's see, what can I do with my free time? Yeah, Really, I'm going to go hunting,
1: Uh, fishing. He's probably doing that, too, but uh, he hasn't given up designing airplanes. Sounds like he can pretty much do whatever he wants. Yeah, really. What what else? Uh,
0: Any other shout-outs? I got one one list, one one here. I, I should have thrown it in last week, and, well, we were, you know, characteristically running close to our long. and But I wanted to give a shout-out to American Airlines Captain Steve Rogers and tell him how much I appreciated his appearance on Saturday Night Live on December 10th, <laughs> uh, how sorry I was to see that he'd been demoted to first officer since he showed up uh to uh Lloyd uh, uh, uh Alec Baldwin uh wearing only three stripes instead of four and i know that's got to be tough on him but after telling the public that rules about turning off electronic devices is you know just there to to screw with us uh that may be why he lost that stripe captain rogers but i agree with you i, I think alec baldwin is a treasure and the next time that He pulls a stunt like that on an airliner. Maybe they'll bury him for the next Pirate of the Caribbean movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, before you take what David just said at face value, check out the link and find the Steve Rogers uh, Saturday Night Live bit, and you'll get the whole story. Um, But, uh, yeah, that was a good bit. I liked it. I liked it. Uh, Jeb, anything else?
2: Yeah, just uh, real quick. um, um, The uh, two airports I visited over the weekend in um, Louisiana... Mansfield, uh, Louisiana, three Foxtrot three, and Shreveport downtown, uh, Delta Tang in November. Uh very good service, very easy ins and outs and and stuff. Um, the FBO at uh, at uh, downtown I used was millionaire Air. Uh, uh very nice young lady behind the counter and and marshalling aircraft and uh very cheerful. Um, just a pleasure to to visit uh both of these airports. They were both clean. In uh, good operation, um, well equipped, and uh, um, just you know, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad this is still going on out there. I've seen some some uh, uh, some questionable locations, but I um, uh, had a very good experience at both of these airports, and I'm very appreciative. And they deserve a shout out.
3: Very good.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely.
3: Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet?
2: AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, J.E.Burnside.com, A.E.A.Net occasionally, and on AvWeb.com occasionally.
3: Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. Dave, where can people find you on the net?
0: Oh, AvBuyer.net, A-E-A dot net, uh blah, 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 blah. Aviation Safety Magazine something or other once in a while. Who knows? Uh, And uh, or you can, you know, you can roll the dice and try to decide whether you'd read rather read the golf writer or the theoretical physicist or the airplane dude and just Google Dave Higdon.
1: Hey, I wanted to follow up with you on something, David. Um, Last episode, you shared with us a lot of fascinating information about the article that you had written and researched on uh, on uh, controlled flight into terrain. And uh, we neglected to ask you what magazine we should be watching for to uh, read that article. Uh, that'll be in the uh, January issue of, a- of uh, World
0: Aircraft Sales Magazine, which is pretty much on the table at pretty much every FBO in the country, pretty much every month. Absolutely. Yeah, check it
3: out. Jack Hodgson is a private pilot, freelance writer, and new media producer. Jack, where can people find you?
1: JackHodgson.com and AroundTheField.net.
3: And I'm Jeff Ward from Bill Ricker, Massachusetts. UCAP show notes editor, and a private pilot flying Piper Warriors out of Hanscom Field in Bedford, Mass., and Boarfield, Nashua, New Hampshire. You can find me on the net as at scoffreyjet on Twitter. I'm scoffreyjet in the UCAP forums, and I'm Jeff Ward on Google+.
1: Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. Uh, And uh, don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live to be an old, sorry pilot by going flying
0: because there's no better way to live long. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan.
1: And that's enough talking. Let's go flying.
2: TTFN.